the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right. Like many of you in the Bay Area last night, gusty winds uh, once again gave us a kind of reminder of just how consistently we are growing in our challenging weather systems. I hope... um, I hope it didn't disturb you from sleeping. I hope it didn't uh, take your rest away from you. I hope it didn't uh, create some of the kind of problems that we're dealing with here in Castro Valley. Our lights are out. Our power is out. And uh, we are once again trying to navigate our way through a, uh, a, a rigged system to come to you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. The number to reach me is one triple eight one eight eight eight. Three six seven five three two nine. If you want to talk about the latest news, the latest events, if you've got a question, comment, um, or an observation that you would like to render this Monday, I'm very much looking forward to us putting together a potpourri, a kind of two hours of just conversation. Doesn't really matter what that might be edifying. That would extend our uh, uh, vocabulary, our, our, our intellectual acumen, if you will, our, our understanding of the world around us, maybe maybe just make us feel good. So you help me with that. Um, and uh, also, I want to give you my email address if you want to email me to let me know what we are sounding like because we are dealing with some technical difficulties. Uh, we've been in this COVID mode for 10 months now. And uh, I've been working from home, like a lot of you have. We all know how that goes. And technology, for all the benefits that it does have, just sometimes stumps us with uh, little uh, Murphy's Laws. And I'm not sure that's the case here. We're trying to do the best we can because we're not operating out of the highest quality of sound. So if we're, if we're sounding weird or um, strange, uh, let me know. Email me at GBC, all lowercase GBC Hayward, it's Grace Bible Church in Hayward, GBC Hayward at gmail.com, GBC Hayward at gmail.com. I really want to know that we are coming in loud and clear or comfortably. So if you're hearing weird noises or something like that, let me know. Perhaps I can uh, have my engineer make the adjustments necessary. But I just want to make this plane flight, this rhetorical uh, journey for the next hour and uh, 50 minutes comfortable for you. one uh, Like I said, I woke up this morning after uh, just getting used to around 12 o'clock, just the hurling of the winds and, uh, and, and uh, the, uh, the weather system that has now begun to become a kind of common practice for us in the Bay Area has it not. Uh, showing up on all four sides of my house and uh, reminding us of the power of uh, nature and the God that created it could easily disrupt what you and I generally have are good nights of un, uh, 
interrupted sleep. And I woke up this morning to branches scattered everywhere in my yard, leaves and branches scattered everywhere. And uh, without even beginning to go into a, like a complain mode, I just opened up one of my doors and started sweeping and, and cleaning up. And I thought I was okay uh, with some serious cleanup I was doing a couple of weeks ago where I left outside on my patio a bunch of papers, several hundreds of papers just sitting there because the weather has been pristine, has it not? It's been clear, warm, beautiful. And all of a sudden, I woke up and white paper is all over the yard, my neighbor's yard. And fortunately, these were uh, papers that I had already studied, doctrinal issues, eschatology, maps, uh, schematics, and things like that. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that they were post-study notes and not notes that I were I was depending upon, even though I still have to clean up a bunch of it later on today. Uh and as I said, my power is out, so I'm sitting in my office at the church uh, talking to you now uh, and glad to be with you. Again, I love Mondays because Monday is post-Sunday for me, and uh, we had a ph- phenomenal time Monday, uh, Sunday rather, at worship. We are gathering together again. Hope that you are as well. I trust that your uh, leadership is moving you in a direction by which you are moving towards returning to that which is essential to your edification in God's glory. God means for the people of God to gather. He means for us to uh, congregate. He means for us to be in the same space, notwithstanding the need for some levels of social distancing, always predicated upon faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if you're not walking by faith, you're in trouble already. So we're gathering, we are doing all of the necessary measures, taking temperatures and cleaning things and uh, uh, wearing masks where it is appropriate and uh, keeping some distance from people. But, you know, the liability can always be there. It is just something we have to live with, and we're praying that um, God would allow us to negotiate it in a fashion that if we were to even contract the coronavirus, that our health would allow us to overcome it certainly praying for those who have contracted it and may be in some very serious health compromised state whereby uh, overcoming this COVID can be a challenge. So we are, we are not uh, trivializing it, but we're certainly not allowing what I have been recognizing. Uh, let me share with you my thoughts before we go to break. I'll tell you, you know, you know what I've been working through over the last, 10 months, and it might be true over the last several years, but certainly over the last 10 months, I have been working through observing. I'm seeing a kind of patronizing, condescending speech pattern in our society, in our media, uh, particularly the commercial world. I'm seeing a kind of general narrative, and it's largely your, your liberal left narrative that actually believes people prefer to be pandered to and pampered as victims, I, 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 that's kind of what I'm seeing as a narrative. Am I am I uh, hallucinating? Am I uh, am I hearing things? Uh, do you not also pick up on the the idea that that the way that you frame a narrative, the way that you offer an idea, the way that you excuse me produce um, commercials is to create a boogeyman, a monster, a bad person, like for instance, 
the cigarette ads. It's just phenomenal to me. Have you have you guys seen the cigarette ad or observed the cigarette ad where they talk about big tobacco uh, as being this sort of evil system personified uh, that that intends to produce cigarettes and make vapors. I guess vaping is one of the new things and. They are the big bad enemy that's creating problems for the poor and the minority cultures of the world and the young and youthful people in those poor uh, communi- uh, communities. And the way the commercial is framed is, is, is that they, they impose or point to the industry, the company, as the main culprit. It's like big tobacco. Watch out for them. They're the enemy. They want to destroy you. They are the ones that are causing you to be sick. They are the ones that's giving you cancer. They are the ones that want to destroy your lives. And I'll tell you, is as if people themselves are helpless and therefore not responsible for their own choices. And like Pavlov's dogs, the, the theory of salivating when you've been taught how to uh, salivate for something give approval to this mode of commercializing, this mode of, of, uh, of advertisement or this mode of nav- uh, narrative by which everything is somebody else's fault. Uh, and I would raise the question, you know, I would raise the question, is this effective in speaking to the emotionally centered society of people uh, with whom you and I are presently living? Do Do they... Excuse me. Do they uh, really buy into this kind of pandering, patronizing mode of you don't ever have any responsibility for what you're going through? You don't ever have to own up to your free agency, your personal responsibility, or the consequences of your choices. Do you really believe that people buy that wholesale and therefore are uh, willing to live in a false uh, idea of I'm never wrong, it's always them, and on top of that, in addition to this, that basically moves us into, again, some very uh, recent and, and uh, necessary conversation. Is politics the answer to solving your problems? Is, uh, is the right or the left, the Democrats or the Republicans, coming to rescue you from big tobacco or or big government, or uh, the big gas industries. Is that really something that you believe is the problem in our world? Is the problem in our world other people, uh, and they're they're not giving us what we want, and uh, we would be better off in our lives if we had uh, the government doing for us what we uh, want them to do, or is the problem a little bit of both? Maybe it is government who takes advantage of people who are naive and ignorant, or maybe it is government who takes advantage of people who uh, don't have the ability to, to work through, think through, and, uh, and therefore respond in terms of personal agency and personal responsibility. Maybe it is the government's job, if you will, to rescue those people. Certainly uh, government and, and, uh, and social order and politics are something that, not only does our world know it's a necessary evil, but we also know that we've got to have government. But is government the savior? Is government the, the, the answer? Or is government largely and frequently the problem? Now, see, this is where folks want to talk out of two sides of their mouth, don't they? Because you will swear that the people on the left are always blaming government for the problem, 
but the very people on the left that are doing the blaming of the government of the problems are supposing that government can bring the answer as well. Uh, that somehow the way to solve the problem of all of the evils that are presently occurring in our country is to replace a bad government with a socialist government, replace you know Donald Trump with uh, Joe Biden. Is that really is that really the answer? And do you really buy into that notion, or are you are you very clear and aware that you're being hoodwinked? Now I'm going to tell you what I think before I go to break. I think people know. After recovering from the flattery of leftist patronizing, where they tell you you are the center of the universe and we realize that you've got a lot of problems that you can't overcome and that the real enemy is the people that are in the White House or in Congress, and we're going to actually save you from them. We're going to take what they have in terms of their power, and we're going to give it all to you. We're going to make sure that you have everything you need for life. And happiness in this world I don't believe you believe that for a moment I just believe that We don't always have The integrity to be honest About when people are BSing us And uh, and don't always have the integrity of saying I don't need your help If you get out of my way I can do it for myself um, This is kind of what I'm seeing happening With 50 Cent And uh, Ice Cube I don't use their names much, so it's kind of weird for me. But do you know 50 Cent and Ice Cube are moving toward the right? Yeah, that's what the media is kind of all up in arms about. Uh, 50 Cent talking about voting for Trump and and Ice Cube, too. Now, now listen to me. If that's true, we've got some issues here, don't we? Because these are black men, and they are wealthy black men, and they are prominent black men. And here they are moving to the right. What do you suppose that is? And this is not about abortion, as we were talking last Monday. What do you think that's about? Well, when I come back from the break, I'm going to talk to you about the principle of the one-man savior uh, rule, if you will, the model that the Bible actually sets forth as to how you correct the whole society of people. You never correct them by a multitude saving the multitude. You always correct society by one man, one person rising up and saying to all the rest, because the multitude is generally and consistently wrong. So you can't save the multitude by the multitude. You can only save the multitude by a savior type rising up and saying you're going in the wrong direction. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Three lines are open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I will be right back. All right, we are back. The time is 5.23 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Don't know how many lines we've got left open, but the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Last time we talked um, before the break, I was just sharing with you just my observation about what's going on in our in our in our society and how um, I, I don't know. It just seems like what I'm hearing as the narrative is that it's not your fault. You don't have any responsibility. You don't have to do anything to make your life better. And, and, and you know, I don't think it's working. I don't think the idea of blaming the government, blaming the nation, blaming the rulers for everything that's going on in people's lives is going to work. I, I remember particularly when um, – when I first started listening to politics back in the 70s, late 70s, and then definitely the 80s, 
and and I really I really tuned in. I began to tune in, you guys, during the time of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, and they were, uh, you know, they were they were just as controversial back then in the '80s. I think it was the '80s, uh, as was uh, maybe mid '80s, late '80s. Uh, they were as controversial as Donald Trump. If you older people as myself, uh, as am myself, in in, our, in your fifties and sixties, you would know that uh, the the news was relentlessly given over to talking about the escapades of Bill Clinton, the sexual liaisons, and the indiscretions, and his his multiple infidelities with his wife and all of the women that would come out of the woodwork against him. When I, I was naive. I was, uh, I, I didn't know that you could be caught, uh, in this kind of precarious, immoral, uh, behavior that should be unacceptable to, to any country. Ultimately, it, I, it never dawned on me that Bill Clinton would actually, Get voted in. It never dawned on me. And I, I was on the assumption that that wouldn't happen. I forget who he was running again at, against at that time. I'm not sure if it was George Bush, but um, I, I forget who it was. But I just assumed that the other guy was going to win because the other guy just didn't have the kind of moral deficits and uh, uh, background skeletons that, that Bill Clinton did. And lo and behold, Bill Clinton and his wife pulled it out. And I remember at that point recognizing how powerful the media is and how powerful false narratives are and how trapped we become when we take political sides and fail to want to be honest in our evaluation of our own party, just fail to want to be honest about the evaluation of our own party. And I remember at that time, you guys, how I thought about, you know, why it is that people would say, and I didn't really care for it much, but there are two things you don't talk about when you get together with family, and that's religion and politics. And and for the longest, I I blew it off. I said, that's ridiculous. You can talk about anything at the table with your family if you love each other and you're willing to be honest. But here I am some 40 years later, let's say 30, uh, from the time I really woke up to politics, some 30, 30 years later, and uh, and I realized that people are absolutely gripped by their political allegiances that rational conversation that would expose them to um to 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 have to a- admit that somewhere in their party platform they're wrong that somewhere in their party platform uh they are they are operating out of principles and agendas and narratives that are blatantly and patently false and yet, what do people do? They just hold to those positions till death do them part. They'll abandon the gospel for that stuff. And it's just bizarre. And so the reason why I brought up um, uh, Ice Cube and uh, and uh, 50 Cent was because the media started making all kinds of frenzy about it, as if those men don't have the right to come up out of lockstep with the present leftist narrative. See, they're being black by the way they're responding is not the first thing in their identity portfolio to consider when it comes to American policies and political parties. But their freedom, see, they're talking to you from a position of prioritizing their freedoms 
their freedom to accrue and to maintain as much wealth as they possibly can possess, which, which strikes at the neo-Marxist message of identity politics and BLM and social justice uh, in terms of their platform, you are first black in their eyes. Not human, black. You're first black. Then you are part of a group, not an individual. There can be no individual saviors of the community among the blacks. The community saves itself, not individuals. Or it also allows politics to rescue it from politicians, of which they are more, gla- more than glad to do. Joe Biden does not mind siding with you and talking about how bad the world is. That's the other thing I remember hearing from the, the left all the time is how bad things are in the world. It's like if you want to talk about society not having changed over the last 400 years, it certainly hasn't changed for the left. Because they still talk and act and think and speak as if we're on the brink of absolute, utter destruction. And I ask you guys, do you actually believe that people believe that? I don't. I don't think people believe it. I believe once you cry wolf long enough, and we don't see a wolf, once you cry the sky is falling long enough, and we don't see the sky crawling, once you start pointing over there long enough, and we see that over there, is nothing to speak of, really, people stop believing you. Now, they may not say it publicly, but they're going to say it at the polls. At the polls, you're going to see that people do not believe Joe Biden and do not believe Kamala Harris, do not believe CNN, do not believe CBS, and all the other news channels that just 24 hours a day give you absolute, Relentless, unabated negativity, fatalism, failure, uh, victimization. You can't do anything. People don't believe that. Americans are way too privileged to stay asleep on that kind of crap forever. And and you're going to see it in the polls. I think you're going to see this time around that what I say often occurs on the part of the left is that they overreach. They can get a handful of emotional people. They can get a handful of people who are poor and poverty-stricken in their thinking. Because the Bible says the poverty of the poor is their destruction. It's the way poor people have a tendency to think when they're not ready to get up off of their their, uh, fanny and start putting in the effort to uh, prosper and thrive in a country for which they are automatically privileged. And so... I really do believe that you take a 50 Cent and Ice Cube and others, others who are saying, no, I'm not going to just let Joe Biden take 50 percent of my money just because he's the president of the Democratic Party. That is insane. That is irrational. That is unconstitutional. That is non-freedom oriented. That is not helping. That's failing. That's Marxism, neo-Marxist, cultural, identity, politics. That does not bless anyone. Freedom of autonomy is what the Constitution is aiming at. The power to self-govern is what the Constitution is aiming at and promises. The ability to not let politicians take what is yours without your permission, no matter what they are saying they're going to do with it. And, uh, and, and, and I guess what, what I have to say, and I'll have to take another break, and then I'll get at your phone lines. I think we might have one open, but uh, is that, 
yeah, you, you have these uh, presidential races like we haven't, you know, I think it's next Monday or two. Let's see here. What is the date? Ten twenty six. No, it's next next Monday or Tuesday. It's on. Next Tuesday is on. It's going to be exciting. If next Tuesday is the election, we're going to have a good time next Monday, the Lord willing. And I'm alive and you're alive because we're going to just dig in and lay this thing out and uh, and talk even more candidly and uh, and prudently about where we are in the American experiment. Uh, on on the Monday coming forth, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll talk with Jermaine. I'll talk with Mark, and uh, and uh, I guess I got a line or two open. You can call in one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We sure are, and the time is five thirty eight on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's quickly go to the phone line since they're all full. Uh, let's go to line number one and talk with Jermaine in Alameda. Jermaine, are you there? Oh yes, I'm here. Hey, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm good, good. I, um, I originally had a question, but then you brought up my question, your topics. So I guess I'll just kind of chime in. But I noticed concerning the media and um, everything that's kind of going on in our country, there seems to be two kinds of folks. There's 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 one group that they kind of believe the narrative hook, line, and sinker, and, and I'm related to some of these people where they just they won't go out, they won't do anything, but you know, they mysteriously feel okay to go to Target and go to stores and, and whatnot. But then there's another sector of people who they don't believe it at all, but just based on all the events that we've seen over the last few months, they're they're not talking to people. They, they're the kind of people who lie to the pollsters when they call. I've seen them even lie to people about when they're asked who they're going to vote for. And, and talking in private with them is obvious they're going to do the exact opposite of what they told somebody and a lot of it comes from what you said. They're just tired of the, the constant bombardment of negative news, of just negative publicity. Um, some of them don't even like the right, but just based on on how they uh, they perceive the treatment, they they believe it kind of it, it turned Mr. Trump into a scapegoat. And because of that, they're you know these are people who would love to get back to work, and they're just they're going to surprise a lot of people at the polls. I, I kind of believe along the lines of what you said, and I think that's going to lead to some issues next week. So I just wanted to chime in and, and uh, give my point of view. Yeah, in that one, okay, some, there were kind of three categories that you, uh, you know, seamlessly put forth that I want to just t- touch on. I Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tending towards the first two categories. Of, I recognize that, that people have been utterly challenged by this whole uh, perfect storm of COVID uh, with its implications on our economy and its uh, implications on our sociological uh, structures and interrelationships, whether that be uh, on the job, uh, in the home, in the schools, and certainly in our families, and then to add uh, to, in our churches. Uh, jobs, schools, homes, family, churches, all of that has been uh, adversely challenged at uh, at the least by the COVID scenario here. And there are two things that I observe going on with people, Jermaine. One of them is that there are a significant amount of people who are in the category of what I call the people who are afraid, who are operating out of fear, fear. And I mean the fear of being honest about 
uh, what they really believe, fear of being honest about what they hope in and desire, and their fear is rooted in the success of the bullying nature of the leftist politics that employs Marxist strategies for seeking to overwhelm people with its bullying, protesting, argumentative, destructive ways because most people are not in a place anymore of uh, quickly responding to bullies. We have enjoyed a privileged society, Jermaine, where we can uh, generally, as a rule, go years before we run across somebody with whom we might be in danger of having just the fifth fight. And I consider that a great privilege because in many countries around the world, that's not the case. You look at people the wrong way, and they come back at night and burn your house down. This certainly would be the truth uh, for believers in many, many countries that are hostile to Christianity. So you and I live in a country where we are enjoying the bountiful fruits of a peaceful civil society that is constantly being disrupted by the unsatisfied, dissatisfied, disenchanted left that constantly thrives out of making problems for people. This is what I was saying earlier. The left is always angry. The left is always mad. The left is always the sky is falling. The world is going to end. And they're always pointing the blame at somebody else rather than themselves as a solution to the problem. This is not gospel. This is not biblical. This is not Christian. I'm sad to say. The other area that I see people operating in is a deficient faith. So fear is gripping some people, so they will vote for Trump, but they'll do it, like you said, quietly and uh, uh, anonymously. Uh, they don't want to have to stand up for what they believe in because they may suffer the consequences. They certainly would not be an advocate to be a witness for the gospel in that context. But the people that are deficient in their faith, these will be people who also have been trapped by the megaphone of the beast who cries out with its uh, decrees and its laws and its mandates and tells you to sit still and don't even turn your head to the left or the right. Uh, don't move. Don't move because the COVID will get you and kill you. And, uh, and they don't know how to even objectively critique, analyze, do the work of studying and evaluating all of the arguments that are still freely available in uh, the open market of, of media research to actually make an informed decision as to how much freedom they can walk in with wisdom, how much liberty they can engage in with discretion, and how much liberty and freedom they should actually be employing to express their faith in the true and the living God. Uh, according to the gospel, and so worship God publicly and worship God consistently with the saints of the living God, notwithstanding all of the viruses and microorganisms and, 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 and all of the potential liabilities that can afflict any of us at any time and make us sick and even die, if you will. When you've got a society that has been exposed by COVID for being that weak in faith, it's no wonder that we don't have an influential gospel in our culture and in our world, it's just something that I'm recognizing, I'm learning. This is, this is, I thank God for COVID because it has exposed many of us for being utterly weak in faith. The third thing that you were making mention of that um, I'm, I'm not real sure, Jermaine, I'm not sure that we will have anything more than a small smidgen of protest 
and um, uh, you know uh, sparse violence around the nation because uh, you can even see how with Black Lives Matter and all these different movements, they seem to beat to a kind of silent dog whistle that tells them back off. We're almost at election day. We don't want Joe Biden looking bad by you burning up stuff and tearing down stuff. So just hold back. Let's see what happens. If he wins, uh, then great. If he loses, then we will we will begin to continue the strategic attempts at bullying people and, and, and uh, telling the world that we no longer approve of a capitalist system. The problem is with that also is that people don't believe it anymore. They know it's a, it's a ruse. They know it's a scam. They know that it's only in pockets. And listen, if Donald Trump wins again, uh, uh, most police departments are going to be uh, emboldened to stop in their tracks any kind of unnecessary <laughs> grotesque uh, political uh, expression that would lead to the destruction of property, homes, and things of that nature. Isn't, we're not going to just have a an out and out civil war. That's not going to happen. So it, it it will take a lot for a civil war to occur, and uh, and it, it's really not going to happen if Donald Trump is in the White House because the military is set up not only to protect us from enemies without, but to protect us from enemies within. It just Law enforcement and military will be obligated to squelch any significant, overt, uh, treasonous, hostile behavior on the part of the neo-Marxists who wants to tell us that uh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Listen, i got to take a hard break. Thank you for the call. I love the conversation. we got to keep having it because even, ladies and gentlemen, if Donald Trump were to win or even if Biden, I'll tell you what you can expect if Biden wins. Six months into his uh, can into his office as president, the same rabble rousers will rise up against him, because the consistent principle of Marxism is that all power must be brought down. It doesn't matter who's in the office, so they will go after him as well because it's a self-defeating system. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan, one 888 We'll be right back. We are back. The time is 5.52. One more hour left after this segment. Let me see here. Let me go to line number three and talk with Mark in San Jose. Mark, are you there? <clears throat> I am. And, uh, All right. What's going, on? What's going on now? Well, centuries before Christ went to the cross, there was a prophecy, and it said this, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation, and I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as the morning of an only son, and the end thereof is a bitter day. And uh, it's quite interesting. When Christ was on the cross, it says it went out, the sun went out for three hours. And there's some guy named Phlegon Trollius. I guess he was a Roman historian born in the year 80 A.D. And this is what he said. Okay? This is an unsaved guy, but a historian. In the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, 
there was a great eclipse of the sun greater than had ever been known before. For at the sixth hour of the day, uh, the day was changed into night, and the stars were seen in the heavens, and an earthquake occurred in Bithynia and overthrew a great part of Nicaea. And then some other church father, I forgot his name, but he was quoting from this guy, Flegan Trolley's, where he, he actually said it happened for three hours, and then he was disputing with him how it couldn't have happened on a, it couldn't have been an eclipse because uh, it was on Passover, and you cannot have a, a, a solar eclipse on Passover, which is a full moon. Isn't that something? I, uh, I actually believe that there's a lot of evidence that what we're dealing with is definitely a supernatural fulfillment of that minor prophet that you were just quoting in relationship to uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ, which was fulfilling two things, Mark. One is the judgment of God on the Son of God as a substitute for rebel sinners uh, such as would believe on him, whom the Bible calls his elect. Secondly, it was a foreshadow of the actual kind of judgment that would come upon national Israel in A.D. 70, where the same kind of testimonies were rendered by Josephus, Tacitus, and others about uh, major signs in the heavens occurring at the time when Israel was brought under the judgment by the Roman Titus and Vespasian and them. And the earlier church fathers were having this very conversation that you and I are talking about. But let's let's carry that out just a little bit by extrapolation, because you and I are looking at anomalies and things of that nature starting to happen once again in our own country, in our own world. And what I've been teaching in the book of Revelation is that the God is that the God of the Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I know you would agree with this that whenever God wants to, He will disrupt the natural order of events to demonstrate that we are not merely the products of an evolutionary non-personal deity uh, mechanism, but rather a personal, powerful, almighty God who shapes and, and controls and therefore from time to time uh, disrupts the normal cycle of things to get our attention and to prepare us for calamities that are forthcoming because of our rebellion against him. And I think we're looking at elements of that starting to happen in our own nation uh, these days because of our rebellion and disobedience, as was the case with national Israel. So it is in our own country, which has been privileged to the hill. And yet we have walked in rebellion against the true and the living God in our idolatries and in our covetousnesses. So um, I see parallels starting to emerge again as we move toward the end times. All right, you get about 10, 15 seconds before we have to move on simply because uh, the radio cannot have that kind of empty space going on. Somebody told me the world ends <laughs> when you allow empty space. I'm going to go to line three and talk with Gloria in Canada on line three. Gloria in Canada, are you there? Hi, hi, Pastor Jesse. Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you? Oh, I'm not doing too bad. Uh, can I... Can I, is it any topic or? Uh, Pastor Jesse? You, 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 you are, can you hear me? Yes. All right, so you're a special guest because you're calling from Canada, what? Uh, and then we also know the battles you guys are having over there in Canada, too, so you can oh, actually yeah. talk about whatever you want to. Okay. Um, 
Well, you know, I've asked you different times uh, to pray for my little grandson, right? Right. And he has what, what? autism. Right, right. And, and okay. but he he's uh, four and a half, but he's more like a little over a year. Sure, sure. And uh, I talked to a friend of mine who I introduced. Uh, I introduced her to you. <laughs> So she's listening mm-hmm. to you, and I have so many others listening to you. Um, awesome. Anyhow, she told me, well, he may not be one of God's elect, because I'm, I'm concerned, you know, about his development, and I'm praying for him all the time. I'm not around him now because of this COVID, but um, I wanted to ask you, um, is there an age of accountability or... Because if he doesn't develop, if something happens, like his immune system is really bad, um, I want to see him make heaven. Oh, yeah, let me talk about that. Let me me talk about that. All right, so the, uh, the issue of salvation is a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable option to the righteous calamity of all human beings who are worthy of divine punishment because of sin. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. And right. the salvation the salvation of our God, the salvation of the one true and living God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent, proceeds from God's nature. God by nature is a savior. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. And I want everybody listening to get this. So the God, the God of the Bible is a savior by nature. It's not only what he does, it's who he is. It's his name. His name, Yeshua. His name, Joshua. His name, Jehovah. Jehovah saves. And, and, and his name is Jesus, the Greek version of the Hebrew Yeshua. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the God of the Bible is a just God whose punishment for sin will never, ever be rightly accused by human beings as being mean, uh, excessive, uh, uh, if you will, uh, perverse, uh, careless, indiscriminate, and certainly uh, it will never, ever be accused of being unrighteous relative to the things that you and I are considering. Our world is filled with uh, babies who don't know their left hand from their right hand, who live and die before they reach a level of accountability by which God would have every right to bring them before the judgment throne and weigh out their sin in their presence, in their conscience, because that's the way judgment day will be. Here's the fallacy that often Christians are making, whether on the the side of, of uh, Reformation uh, theological framework where we do believe in the doctrine of election or whether on the side of the Arminian who believes it's all up to man, which is a myth. Nevertheless, notwithstanding, no one is going to hell, my beloved sister. No one is going to hell by the arbitrary throwing them into that state of eternal perishing by God where there is not first an open public adjudication 
of the righteous act of God to punish sin because of the rebellion of that person or persons. And that will be done publicly before all of the holy angels, the triune God himself, and all of the people of God, as well as all of the peoples uh, in the world that have been from the beginning of time to the end of time, with the exception of two categories of people. The people who have died in infancy or in young age, too young to have formulated a level of consciousness that allows them to be legitimately condemned or condemned, if you will, for their rebellious acts and thus in God's righteous justice be able to recall to their conscience the areas in which they rebelled against God, did not repent and seek the mercy that would have been granted to them in the person of Christ, uh, which would certainly be the case with all aborted babies, all babies born and dying in infancy, uh, crib deaths, sicknesses of all kinds, and the the period of what we have been uh, ascertaining in, in, in scholarship and theologians for millenniums now as to being that age of accountability, Isaiah chapter 11 we'll talk about before they can know how to choose the good over the evil, uh, that period of accountability, my dear sister, is only known to God. There is no hard, fast number like 12 years old. Human beings do not mentally develop the same way consistently across the board. Then we have the anomaly of our precious little ones who have all sorts of uh, psychological impediments, abnormal uh, developmental processes going on in their physical makeup, mental makeup, etc. And I am under the absolute opinion that the preponderance of the mercy of God that flows from the atoning work of Christ, the death of the Son of God on Calvary, has so sufficiently covered the sinful nature and therefore sinful tendencies in those babies that never saw the light of day through abortion but were yet eternity-bound souls, those babies that were born with sicknesses and afflictions like your precious little grandson and many who are listening now, those babies will be up under the auspices of election in the person of Christ because they would have never, ever been able to engage in personal, volitional, conscious rebellion against their maker so as to justify them standing before the bar on the last day. See what is required, and I'm going to have to take a break here. What's required for us to think through as Christians when we talk about God's mercy and when we talk about God's justice, we must at all times remember who God is, not merely what God does. God's not throwing anyone into hell unrighteously, arbitrarily, or whimsically He doesn't have to do that. He's an all-wise God. The people that go to hell will deserve it. The people that don't will have not deserved not going to hell. We'll all go to hell if we do because we deserve it. And if we go to heaven, it will be by the grace that's in Christ Jesus alone. And that's something that gives us all comfort when our children die before you and I can bear record 
that there's any kind of overt expression of communion and fellowship that they may have already been having with the true and the living God. We don't know. This is going to be a day in which God is going to be absolutely glorified, infinitely glorified, where he has the right to actually say what will occur with the babies, the millions, maybe even billions of the young ones who have died where you and I don't get to stand in the judgment seat and make that make that call. We don't get to make that call. We got to give God room to make some calls in the judgment, and he will be making that call, and he will be glorified in that day. And we will all bow down in wonder and marvelous amazement at who made it into God's heaven. And let me close with this particular promise that Christ gave. When he picked up a little child, he held him in his arm. I don't know how old he was. I don't even care. He says, of such are the kingdom of heaven. And except you and I and the rest of this rebel world become like little children, that is authentically born again, where our confidence lies in our dependence upon God, not our dependence upon how much we know, we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven either. I want this to be a word of comfort for you, my sister, a word of comfort. I've got to take a break. I think I've got one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. 